0: Well, thank you for that, Melody. I I have to say first, uh, I want to thank all of you for uh, inviting me here today, and especially all those people it took uh, to put this service together. You know, this is not something that happens overnight. And uh, we've had a gazillion emails between Mary and Melody and me this last week uh, and in the months preceding. And so I know you know what kind of a great resource you have in them, but let me just emphasize to you that from the outside, it's really evident also. So thank you. and it's a great pleasure to be, to be back here. I've only heard the sound, the actual sound of the voice of God, or the spirit, or the universe, or overactive dopamine, whatever you want to call it. I've only heard this once in my life. I was on this airplane, and I was flying from London back to the United States, and I was, uh, I was agitating about something. And I can't remember exactly what I was agitating about, but I was sitting there, and I was eating my little miniature beef stroganoff, or whatever it was I was eating, and I was... I was worried, and I was anxious, and I was kind of depressed, and at this moment, when I was feeling kind of overwhelmed, I suddenly heard a voice, I really heard it clear as a bell in my head, and it said, lighten up. Actually, there were two more words in there, one of which I can't say in this kind of a setting, So, uh, you know, I, but, it, you know, but that's essentially what it was, lighten up. <laughs> I mean, who knew that God would use profanity, really, you know? Uh, maybe it's just to get the point across, you know? But I needed the message. I mean, here I was. I was on a plane over the Atlantic. I mean, how bad could it be, really, you know? I needed the message uh, to lighten up. And the profanity probably helped, too. Got my attention. Um, it may not be immediately, evident to you because, uh, you know, you don't know me that well, but I have a very long-standing, ultra-deep, ultra-serious streak. Now, it's not that I don't know how to have a good time or how to be goofy, but my orientation to life for a a large part of my life was very, very serious, heaviness, deathly seriousness. Little things for me have often meant big things. So like I have spent, spent many, many minutes agonizing, I'm not exaggerating, over whether I should take this pile of wet laundry and put it in my dryer and therefore contribute in my own personal way to global warming or whether I should hang it up on the lawn and deal with the mismatched socks I'm going to have to wear for the next two days before this dries. Right? I've, I've dithered and worried and hassled about whether I should go to the gym now, indicating a care for myself, or grade some papers, indicating a care for my students, right? or uh, clean up the house, indicating a care for my surroundings. And there were times in my marriage uh, when every decision, like who's going to drive the car today, whose name do we put first on the uh, form that we're filling out? You know, what television show are we going to watch? There were times when that seemed like an important social statement about where we stood with regard to love and justice and gender relations in America now and forevermore. (laughs) You recognize this, right? (laughs) Living with that kind of heaviness is exhausting. Those of you who do this know that. Now, I do believe in being thoughtful about what we say and do. I mean, I know that words matter. Actions matter. I'm actually a big proponent of political correctness in language. I think it matters what word you use to mean what. But you can take things seriously, and it can be taken too far. I know, because I've done it. I've done it. When I have that kind of ultra-serious relationship with the world, it's like I'm so closely tied to the events in the environment that there's no room for me to make my own meaning of life. Right? If X happens, it must mean Y right? If this, if I say this, it absolutely means that. There's no freedom at all. So the lighten up commandment is a good one. It's a good one for me. Um, That's why I'm talking about it today. Now it is true that I have had some good experience with lightness too. I get a lot of joy out of the goofiness of language, uh, which you may have heard as I did my sort of postmodern exegesis on the nature of the word kazoo earlier on. Um, I was also exposed to the idea of, of not taking things too seriously when I learned to play cards when I was younger. You know, I learned that the way you play cards is with drama. Like, oh, no, God, yes! yes! I don't know. You know, when you win, you gloat. You know? When you lose, you rend your garments, you pound your head on the floor. You know? <laughs> that way, it's, even, it's fun even if you lose, right? Because that's the point. It's supposed to be fun right? It's a game. Playing cards, anyway, is a game. If you take a game too seriously, like if you think when you really me- when you win it means actually something about you, you're deluded. <laughs> right? Cards, in any case, is largely luck, and that's just the way it goes. If you think when you lose it means something about you, you're equally deluded. It's just a game, right? It's fun to play, and it's more fun to play when you play it wholeheartedly and passionately but it doesn't really mean anything about who you are down deep. So that's what I'm talking about today. So when I say lightening up, what I mean is changing our relationship to life so that we treat life more like a game. Something to engage in, to play passionately, wholeheartedly, but not something that has any ultimate bearing on our self-worth or our value. Lightening up is about opening up some space between our experience and what's happening in the world, or what's happening in our minds, for that matter. If we do that, I think we're going to find more energy, we'll find more playfulness, more passion, more aliveness, and more love, which I think is what most of us, all of us, ultimately want. But I realize that it's kind of a big leap from, you know, lightening up to more aliveness, more love. So... Let me explain what I mean. I'll kind of go through the, the logic of this a bit. First of all, just to clear up in case there's a misconception, laughing can be one way to lighten up, but laughing is not the same as lightening up, right? You probably know that. We know that there are different kinds of laughter, and they feel different, and they do different things to you. So laughing at somebody on the playground, you know, and making yourself feel fun by making them feel bad, you know, that's not, that's not about lightening up at all. And you know what it feels like if you've done that, it, you know, short-term satisfaction, long-term, not so good, right? Angry satire, you know, the kind you direct at the government or something like that, that can be really powerful as a weapon of social change, but that's not about lightening up either. And we can also laugh because we're you know, feeling uncomfortable, and that just feels brittle. That's not about lightening up at all. Lightening up, as I said, is about changing our relationship to what's going on so that we have more freedom. And let me give you an example of this, kind of a concrete example. I was not long ago I had the chance to travel to India with a friend of mine. It was over Christmas this year and uh, the first place that we went to was Varanasi, also known as Benares, which is the place where the Ganges flows through it and it's where you go if you're uh, if you are Hindu, it's a very auspicious place to die and, or if you've died somewhere else to be cremated. So they, you, people are cremated on the banks of the Ganges and their ashes are dumped into the Ganges and it's, and it's an amazing place. And the the river flows right through the city and the on the one side, on the city side of the bank, are things called ghats. And the ghats are a huge set of stairs that go all the way down to the banks of the river where the pilgrims would then go down and bathe and things like that. And our hotel where we were staying was a guest house. It was right on the ghats. It was just amazing. So you could walk right out, and there was the Ganges right in front of you. And as soon as you took a step outside the hotel, onto the one of those ghats, the first thing that would happen is that these guys would rush up to you. And they'd say, bot, bot. You want to rent boat, right? We got the boat, very cheap, very cheap boat. And no matter how many times you told these guys no, they would continue to kind of come after you and would come after you and come after you and come after you wanting to rent you this boat. And if you managed through sheer persistence of will to get past one of them, then the next guy would come up to you. And I thought when I first was there, it just felt incredibly oppressive because here I was wanting to have this deep spiritual experience, you know, And I was ending up fending off these guys all the time. And so my experience was really pretty narrow with this. But fortunately, my friend had been in India before, and he taught me something about this. He said, you have to remember that when you're doing this thing with the guys who want to sell you the boat ride or whatever it is, it's not just about... A business transaction, you know, with you, the white foreigner, the rich foreigner, the westerner, whatever it is, and the Indians who are trying to make a living, and the colonialism and the oppression, all those things that come up for you naturally. It's all of that, but it's also theater, right? This is a play. You're kind of doing a thing. They have their part. You have your part. So when they say, you know, you want to rent a boat? You want to rent a boat? You can treat it that different way. You can reorient your relationship to it so it's not a battle. It's a scene out of a much bigger pageant. And so you say something like, are you kidding me? 200 rupees an hour? Did you think I was born yesterday? (laughs) Let's talk about it. Let's look at your boat. That boat? You want 200 rupees for that boat? I'll give you a tenth of that, right? (laughs) Or you can do something which really worked out well. You can can sort of step out of your role and talk actor to actor and say to them, so how is business anyway? Man, you're working really hard at this. Not many foreigners around. And they'll talk back to you, you know? They will never forget that their aim is to get your money. That's part of their deal. But they, they, they appreciate you're treating them as a human being, right? And not as an annoyance to be gotten past. And so you can have these conversations, you know? And you may or may not end up taking their boat ride. I did. It was great. <laughs> you know, the energy moved and clicked at that one moment with one guy, so we did it, you know, and it was totally great but I had a different relationship now. Instead of an experience of me versus these guys and my experience being one as a battle, it was me in life with these guys, right? We were doing our own play together. It was fun for everyone involved, I think. So that's, that's one part of lightening up, is changing our relationship to what happens in the external world so there's more space between what happens and our reaction to it. But of course, it's all equally about changing our relationship to what happens in our own minds, you know, and recognizing that our values and ideas, you know, they're just thoughts. They come, they go, you know. Sometimes you need to kind of take yourself less seriously. Maybe make fun of your own sacred cows every once in a while, right? Now, of course, I have to emphasize that when I talk about lightening up, I'm talking about making fun of our own sacred cows, not making fun of other people's. That's a whole other thing. And uh, tempting as it is to try, haranguing other people to lighten up isn't very productive. (laughs) You have to ignore for the moment the fact that I'm doing that to you right now. (laughs) But what I'm really talking about is each of us, you know, each of us enriching our own life experience, our own freedom. So, I mean, I don't know what you're thinking now, but you're probably thinking, well, okay, you know, I mean, who would speak out against lightening up? In fact, I think there's something of a very serious family in all of us. Really. I think that, that lightening up is tricky, and I think we have a real ambivalence to it. Here's a great example, one that's very close to home here. Uh, the last time I was here, a couple of years ago, I did a platform on joy, and we had a workshop afterwards uh, for a couple of hours on, on joy. And the, the joy workshop was you know, we, we had these exercises, we were reading poetry, we were talking about joy and how to bring more joy into our lives. And about halfway through the workshop, the question of evil comes up. Well, how can you, you know, I mean, how can you have joy when there's all this evil out here? Isn't, you know, aren't you missing something if you're not confronting oppression at every moment? And, you know, what's happening? What are you letting happen? And, you know, we talked about it and talked about how your experience of joy is actually not dependent on what's happening in the outside world. And we got through it. But as I was driving home afterwards, I thought, there's like an hour and a half workshop on joy. We can't get through an hour and a half of focusing on joy before we want to talk about evil. Right? No question. That evil is out there, and oppression is out there. But is, is that really what that was about? Or are we just unwilling to let go a little bit of that and let ourselves live? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we have tons of illusions. One reason is we have tons of illusions about just how much control we have over the world. I don't know about you. I spent a number of years, actually, when I lived here in D.C., I spent a number of years being addicted to NPR, right, listening to the news all the time. And eventually, actually when Emily, who's here, when she was uh, younger and we had the whole Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky thing, and I got tired of trying to explain every morning to them at, you know, five and six years old what this was about, I decided to wean myself away from NPR. And I discovered in the process that deep down, I know it sounds crazy, but deep down I sort of believed that if I didn't know every day what was going on, the world would go crazy. That somehow there was this mystical connection between me and the world. And if I let go of that, you know, the world wouldn't be safe. This is bizarre, but, but it's there. You know, my, my desire to, watch, to listen to NPR there had nothing to do with curiosity or compassion or the desire to be a good citizen. Just about fear. Just about fear. And I think the same goes for our own internal states. I mean... A lot of us believe, I think most of us do because we grew up in this culture, that there's a piece of us that's kind of unacceptable and, you know, animalistic and, you know, should really be controlled and isn't pretty and all of that stuff. You know, the Judeo-Christian tradition calls it original sin, the psychoanalysis calls it, you know, the id impulses, and, you know, Eastern religions call it the ego, you know, or the lower self. You know, that's a very widespread feeling that something is there inside us that needs to be controlled, needs to be covered up, and so, of course... Why would we want to let go of our vigilance, right? Because that part of us might be seen, you know. At the same time, I actually think a more present fear in all of us is the fear of letting our best parts be seen. You know, the softest, the most loving, the most vulnerable parts of ourselves. I think we don't want those to be seen. That terrifies us. There's a number of years ago I, I uh, had the opportunity to take a trip to Bali. And when I came back, I uh, would get up every morning, and I would put a flower in my hair behind my ear, because that's what the guys in Bali do, and I thought that was so cool. I mean, what a life-affirming gesture, you know, you put a flower in your hair, and you just, and you walk around with this flower, and your hair reminds you of kind of your connection to the natural environment and all that. I just felt great, but as I did that for a week and two weeks, you know, I started to get a little embarrassed. What are people going to think of me with this flower in my hair? You know, they're going to think of me. They're going to think, you know, that it's basically, I was afraid of them seeing that part of me that was most alive, that was most interested in just being here, right? And so eventually I stopped, I stopped doing it. And I suppose I felt safer, but I didn't feel any more alive. So I think that's why we put up walls around the things that are most meaningful to us, that are most important, that are most sacred to us. That's why we are so rigid about people potentially insulting our sacred cows. Yes, there's something about respect in that, but there's deeper. It's more something about just not wanting anybody to get near it. We want to have those experiences, but we don't want anybody else to see them. Yet, Despite the fear and the resistance, I think lighting up is worth pursuing and it's worth taking risks for because it is liberating. More than that, it makes transformation in the world and in your own lives possible. So let me kind of explain this just for a second. So lighting up gives us that space to craft our experience between where we are and what's happening around us. And it makes relationships possible because when we realize that our successes, our failures, right, our triumphs, our mistakes, that they don't have anything to do with our worth and dignity and our beauty, then we don't have to be so scared about how people see us. We don't have to block out the people who are challenging to us or put up a front so that other people will like us. When we lighten up, we can detach from whatever's happening in a way, but we can also develop a real relationship to it to whatever idea or situation or person is there. So, bizarrely, letting go of attachment to what's happening outside us makes us more effective at engaging with it, at changing the world and changing ourselves. Because we have the freedom to do what's needed, not simply to walk in lockstep with whatever fear tells us. So, here's here's an image that might help, helps me anyway. Imagine that you're swing dancing. You know swing dancing? Okay. You're swing dancing and you got a partner, but you are attached to your partner with uh, shackles, right? Around the neck, on the waist, the wrists, the, you know, the, on the knees and the ankles. And you've got these little short iron bars connecting you. Okay? So whenever you move, the, your partner has to move. Whenever your partner has to move, you have to move. So you can dance in a way, but there's not a lot of freedom in what your relationship can be like. You can't move further apart. You can't get closer together. You can't do any of those kind of wild over the head swingy things, you know, that they do in swing dancing. Because your freedom to have a relationship with your partner is very severely curtailed. And more importantly, your creativity, your ability to respond to the music, to the beats, to the tone, that's pretty much destroyed. So lightening up is like taking off the shackles so that you can dance. You can dance smoothly, you can dance frenetically, you can dance gracefully, however you want and however the music suggests. So when you lighten up in your relationship with life, you open up a space, not only for relationships, for love, for passion, but also for the possibility of inspiration from the unknown, those key changes and changing beats of the universe that are always flowing around us. we're ready to listen to them. So, this is why I think that lighting up is, is not just a psychological tactic, it's a spiritual practice. It's a way of giving ourselves room to let the mystery of the universe into our lives. To move us, to bathe us, to charm us, to teach us. It's a way of giving ourselves more possibilities. And in practical terms, how do we do it? Not complicated. You know, you just have to not take yourself quite so seriously. I know it's hard, but you can find reminders. You can find something in your life that, that kind of reminds you of the sweet bizarreness of life, you know. Either something that makes time stand still for you, like the smile of a beloved grandchild, or, uh, or something that's just completely goofy, like the dialogue of your favorite television show. Something that takes you out of your sort of stuck relationship with reality i mean it's amazing that if you let yourself open you find that each one of us i mean really each one of us is an amazing creation right the likes of each of you has never been seen ever not ever in the history of the universe as far as i know and not likely to be seen again so why not see ourselves with all of the humility and all of the reverence that our true nature deserves. I know, it doesn't come easy at first. Believe me, I know. We just have to practice. Be silly every once in a while, play a kazoo if things get too serious. And maybe somehow, in opening ourselves to the possibility that we may be much more than we ever dared to hope, maybe we'll see some of the power and the beauty and the holiness That's our birthright, no matter how the plot lines of our own particular drama unfold. Then, we can live our lives, really and truly, as a dance. May it be so for all of us. Thank you.